Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Okasanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Welcome to Retirementals. I'm Abraham Okasanya. I am really, really, really excited about my guest today. Is none other than Sean Haggerty, who is the CEO of Europe at Vanguard. Sean, welcome to Retirementals. Thank you, Abraham. I'm uh, very pleased to be with you today. So you are at the very, very top of the behemoth that is Vanguard um, here in Europe. That is a huge, huge job. Tell us a little bit about, about your career and how you got here. Well, I don't know how huge of a job it is. Uh, I, I think I got lucky is, is what happened is uh, I, I had someone tell me you got lucky because you were born in the right century in the right place uh, with the right amount of white male privilege. And, uh, and so, but I started as a, as a what in the US, uh, obviously I'm, I'm, uh, you can hear from my accent, I'm from the US. Uh, I've been in London for about five years now in the role that I play in, uh, in Vanguard Europe. Uh, 24 years at Vanguard in total, uh, so a long run of a career there. But I, I started as a chartered accountant, a, a CPA in the in the U.S., um, but quickly got into the pensions business because the first audits I did were of pension and profit sharing plans um, in the U.S. I kind of felt like, wow, this is an area that seems interesting to me. Um, I left public accounting and went right into a bank where I worked in the pensions business really um, all the way through until the early 2000s, uh, after I was at Vanguard a few years, um, Vanguard's a place that believes in rotations. And so I went from working with pensions clients to uh, running marketing at Vanguard for quite a while, which was a very big departure for me. Uh, then ran corporate strategy at Vanguard for uh, some amount of time. And then uh, immediately before I came to London, I had the privilege of leading the team that does product at Vanguard globally. Um, and that includes all of the launching of funds and ETFs and the oversight of Vanguard's um, uh, investment managers, both internal to Vanguard and external to Vanguard. I mean, I, I think we might get into this a little bit later, but Vanguard has a, a large stable of sub-advisors that manage money largely in the active space um, for Vanguard funds. That's, so that's my career in a nutshell. That, that's an incredible journey. And I'm sorry, I have to ask you this, you know, legend, late, late Jack Bogle, legendary Jack Bogle mm -hmm. is a huge, huge hero of mine. And uh, I'm sure of many other people out there. Did you get to work up close to him? And what was that like? I started at Vanguard in 1997. It was actually the year after he uh, officially retired from the management team, although uh, he worked in the same building I worked in um, for several years. And I had the good fortune of being able to meet him. And uh, because he had an interest in Vanguard and I had an interest in chatting with him about all of his thoughts and ideas, um, we had lunch periodically um, every year that I was at Vanguard um, up until the year I left for for uh, for the UK. Um, so I, I would say uh, 
I really had an opportunity to understand his rationale and his and his thinking, um, which helped inform the way I tried to turn up as a professional at Vanguard. And honestly, what I showed to him was gratitude because, um, you know, I thought investors, uh, employees, and me personally really benefited from his uh, vision and um, <laughs> amazing power of single-minded purpose that he had for, you know, like 80 odd years. Uh, so uh, quite a remarkable individual and I was privileged to get to know him. Just, just incredible. So let's, let's move on. So give us a little bit of um, an overview of Vanguard's business in, in Europe today. I know you look after the UK, but you know, there, there, there is a bigger picture um, beyond the UK as well. G give us an insight to that. Sure. Well, you know, I worked in the U.S. business for, uh, you know, 19 years before I came to, to Europe. And I would say that the businesses aren't that different today between what we always set out to do in the U.S. and what we're setting out to do in Europe. And that is, is that we primarily serve end investors. And we do that um, either directly or um, mostly through financial advisors. Uh, that's the biggest part of our business in the U.S., and it's the biggest part of our business in Europe. So I, I think our strategy is much is very much aligned. It's just that we've been in the U.S. for a lot longer, have more brand there, and uh, and the U.S. is just this gargantuan market. So um, you talk about us being huge uh, in Europe, but but we're not relative to the U.S. because I think we're you know we're probably starting to approach about 300 billion. Um, USD in the European market, but you know we're well over seven trillion in the U.S. So it still feels um, kind of like it feels to me like it like Vanguard felt to me in the U.S. in 1997 when I joined. You know we're just getting going. That's fantastic. So you've recently launched the Vanguard Personal Financial Planning here in the UK and you know there's been all sorts of media around that particularly around the the, the cost being under 80 basis points tell us a little bit what, what is the driver behind Vanguard's foray into financial advice well Vanguard's real mission is not just to be a provider of you know cheap beta and, and I think that uh, unfortunately, sometimes people uh, try and box Vanguard into, oh, you're the index fund provider. But to know Vanguard is to know that we do much more than that. And for Jack Bogle, it wasn't just about indexing. It was about how do you put it all together? You know, how do you actually improve outcomes for investors? And so he didn't set out to say, and we didn't set out to say, oh, let's revolutionize investing with indexing. We, we really set out to say, let's revolutionize investing by trying to put the end investor in the first instance, everything we do is about the end investor in improving outcomes for them. And so as an example, somebody could buy an index fund uh, and sell it and buy it and sell it and buy it over again a bunch of times and lose a ton of money because they would have been timing at the wrong time. Um, so really it was about how do you use investment portfolios to improve outcomes? And so advice for us is really just a natural extension of what we've always been doing, which is how do you take the complex and simplify it? How do you use a long-term investment philosophy and apply it in a way that portfolios are managed? 
And, uh, and so for us, uh, providing advice is a, a natural part. And something, by the way, we've done in the U.S. for probably more than two decades is had a, a component of what we've done around helping to improve outcomes through not just providing funds or ETFs, but also by providing advice to improve net outcomes for investors. And of course, uh, Bogle's single biggest mantra was cost is a huge barrier. Yeah. And we think we can do a lot to try and reduce both the cost and complexity in order to improve outcomes for investors. So many, many financial advisors, we have had this conversation with a few who said to me, oh, by golly, <laughs> Vanguard is now going to be competing with us. Um, and perhaps, you know, that might maybe drive them to start looking at other, other index providers instead of, um, you know, finding other ways to differentiate their, their offering. What sort of, what sort of, um, Comfort can you give advisors who might be worried that Vanguard is coming after their business? Yeah. Well, I, I think you'd go to the US and, and ask, how's that gone for us in the US? And uh, although there are advisors we work with in the US that are concerned about Vanguard providing advice, I think it's a natural concern because you know people call it channel conflict. How do you um, both do direct and, and indirect uh, investing? Um, and I would say that uh, our direct business in the U.S. is the one that we've been in the longest. And yet um, in the U.S. we serve maybe 8 million investors directly. There's like 130 million households in the U.S. So it's still a pretty uh, small percentage of the total, which I would anticipate would be true in Europe as well. Um, there are just certain people that are drawn to a direct, you know, Internet-based digital experience. And there's a much larger group of people that say, I want to actually see somebody face to face. I want to have a relationship with a person that's more local to me. Um, and so we're just trying to fill in different niches. And, and the niche we're trying to fill in in the UK is those who are not served at all today. And I know uh, that many of your listeners probably have seen the FCA research that says about 90% of the UK population don't seek advice. Mm. And so what we're hoping to do is actually expand the entire market by demonstrating to people that advice you know, can be valuable. Um, and our hope is, is that in doing so, and I think this is a really important point, we work better with advisors than anybody else because we think we understand their customers better because we serve individuals directly. And by serving individuals directly, by, by providing advice to individuals directly, we think we can do more to help advisors to improve net outcomes for their clients and expand their practice. And our view is, is that what we've done in the US is we've expanded the pie for the entire industry. We think the industry in the UK is too small. We think there are too many people who are not participating in the capital markets. We think part of that is because we're not giving them a good offer. And we think we can help to improve the entire industry. And I know that sounds maybe immodest, but we have at least a track record in the US of I think attracting competitors, helping advisors, doing things that helped what? Build better net outcomes for investors that attracts more investors into the industry 
that makes all of us stronger within the industry. This is fantastic. And obviously music to my ears, you know, on this, because I've always felt that, so, so I want to make a point and then I'll ask, there is a question, trust me, but I want to make a point. I've always felt that, as you said earlier on, Vanguard is big and bold, you know, in, in the U.S. And until recently, I felt that, and this is not a criticism to your, to, your, to your predecessors, that Vanguard has kind of tiptoed around the U.K. and Europe. Until recently, you came in with a platform with, uh, you know, with the, you know, financial planning business and all that stuff. Okay, so... My, 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 my question then is now you've got a retail platform, you've clearly got the most, you know, the building blocks in terms of ETFs and index fund, and we can talk about active in a stack. You've now got the planning, um, the, the advice business, um, I would say, by the side. So in effect, what is, from, from, for the advisor channel, what is topping Vanguard from putting all of that together and saying, oh, by the way, you've got a model portfolio and say, well, actually, we're going to offer our platform to the advisor, um, you know, and, and compete in, in the platform space, kind of in a vertically integrated model, I think is the wrong phrase, but that's the phrase that it, the industry used. What's stopping Vanguard from doing that? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And, uh, you know, never say never. Um, I think that though, as we've looked at the different components of the value chain in the UK advisor market, there are places where we think it's natural for us to participate and other places where it might be less natural. And I would say that the most important thing for us would be to think about how can we help advisors build portfolios um, and partner with the existing platforms as opposed to being a platform ourselves. Vanguard in the US did have a, a, short, a short period where we offered platform uh, you know, capabilities to advisors. It's a challenging business. Um, there's already plenty of providers in the marketplace. Um, you know, we partner with them obviously by putting our funds on those platforms. And now I think more and more, we'll partner with them to put um, portfolios on those and more and more sophisticated portfolios. We have, again, this is a, 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 it's a two punch thing. We have really terrific funds and ETFs but we have amazing capabilities on portfolio construction, as you can see in some of our multi-asset funds, but we know that not all clients are appropriate in a multi-asset fund. For those clients, what else can we do for them? And we think there's a lot we can do there. Um, the, the, the second piece of that, and it's not now, but I think it will be in the future, is you know, we're building really sophisticated digital tools for financial planning and advice and could we find ways to put some of those tools onto some of the UK platforms for use by advisors? That's something that's not now, it's, it's we'll see. Um, the advisor uh, platform piece would be the furthest away. And, um, and I think we, it's hard enough to run a platform for a direct to consumer, um, but, but when you start to run a platform for advisors, I think that gets, uh, there's a lot of people in the market who do a good job of it. We'll just partner with them. That said, one of the things I'm really interested in is who wants to partner with us in a way where we can streamline something that decreases the overall cost. Because, you know, my, my belief is that the next 10 years, the returns in the capital markets will be muted. We, we know that the fixed income returns are going to be low because, you know, the current kind of 10 year 
yield is probably what you're going to get over the next 10 years. That's the best predictor of fixed income returns. We know that the equity markets are probably pretty well valued and valuations, starting point valuations are a big indicator of future returns. And so let's say our, our best case is, is that the best case is that the UK you know, investor might get about a 5% return. And if we still charge 2% across the entire value chain, that's taking 40% of the return for the, uh, for the industry and only giving 60% of the return to the investor. And they take all of the capital risk. And so I think it's imperative that we as an industry start to think about how can we use digital technologies to start to drive the cost down. Um, and by doing so, and I think this is the really important thing, we increase the pie. So we're gonna have appropriate margins within our businesses because we're gonna start to scale and have more clients to serve because we're charging less and getting them better returns. I think that is the flywheel that we have to start building as an industry. Decrease the cost, increase the returns for investors. It attracts more investors so we can still continue to generate new revenues and new profits to help fund and fuel future innovation, which reduces cost, which improves investor outcomes, and that flywheel starts to turn. When you said uh, platform is further down the line in the chain, I don't know if anyone else on the call heard it. There was this massive, big sound, uh, and that sound you heard is, uh, you know, a lot of platform CEOs essentially breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is it coming into their market, um, you know, or, you know, maybe and, and soon. <laughs> but yeah. this conversation about expanding the pie, one of, uh, and I want to see, I want to see to what extent you agree with this statement. You know, one of the criticisms of Vanguard's advice uh, business, um, Vanguard Financial Planning, is that A, it's not independent, right? Because people who are going into that environment are going to end up with Vanguard funds on, on Vanguard platform and all that stuff. I get that. And, um, and then, of course, that, um, you know, it's digital, you know, telephone-based advice. Um, when life gets complicated for most people, as it does, and they want to expand beyond just investing, they want to talk about, you know, deep conversation around taxation, inheritance tax, um, you know, estate planning, all of those stuff. Um, this is when, you know, they might need other things beyond what Vanguard can offer. And, and so in my mind, I'm thinking of Vanguard's financial planning potentially as maybe, um, you know, call it R&D lab for people who, some people who ultimately end up with a human face-to-face -face financial advice. How do you, how do you respond to that? I, I think that's fair. Uh, we, we do extensive market research to understand, you know, who are we going to reach? And remember, in our first, first instance, you know, the, the, what you see today is obviously the minimal amount of service we will ever provide to UK investors because it's day one. Um, so we're going to naturally expand over time. But I can tell you as an example, when we, um, when we do research, we know that there are many people who are interested in advice. The barriers for us would be any fees whatsoever. Some people just are not willing to pay anything. So even our 50 basis point fee can still be a barrier to some people. And the fact that it is all Vanguard product 
is another barrier. Um, so we're trying to look at psychographic segments, Abraham, and say like, where are the psychographic segments that we think we should play with respect to this? We think that's a different psychographic segment than want to talk to advisors, which is why we think that the channel conflict concern is overblown. I think the people that are going to come to us are a different cohort than those who want to go directly to a financial advisor. Will we have some overlap here and there? Yes, of course we will. That's just life. Um, I, you know, kind of, it's it just the way that the, that the world turns. Um, but our belief is, is that we're going to really be attractive to those people who are really very reluctant to go get an advisor. Um, and, and we can get them over a barrier of, okay, I, I like this because it's relatively straightforward and simple. And I think that for super high net worth people, yeah, they might say, I need to have a financial advisor. Um, that said, I, I do want everybody to understand because you're going to see it happen. We will expand this process. We will you know, likely have good face-to-face -face experiences digitally with um, some of our clients that want it. Um, we will dedicate an advisor over 750,000 pounds. Um, we will expand tax, estate planning, um, and down the road, I would say even potentially non-Vanguard product in our advice offering, although that would be, uh, again, you know, years away. Incredible. Uh, so, so I guess you alluded to the over, you know, bringing the overall cost down to, 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 for, for the investor. So I guess in your view, you see that drive, even the advice channel, um, you know, essentially driving costs closer to that seven base, 70, 80 basis point, as opposed to, you know, 2% where it is today. That's right. And, you know, one of the reasons we look at this is we try and if, if, if we're all about trying to take a stand for all investors and we look at all investors today and see how much they pay on average, we think, what can we do? This is what we get up every morning to think about is what can we do to try and improve outcomes for them? And, and we think that we want to improve probabilities of them having success with whatever goal they have, many for most, it's retirement. And we think the decrease in the cost from say 2% down to something like 75, 80 basis points significantly increases the probability they're actually going to reach their goal over, over a span of time of savings. Um, and so the question is, is what can we do to help push the industry in that direction? Last thing I'll say is if we are purely an asset manager, all we would do is have one component of that value chain and that's it. And it's really important for us to be paying attention to the other components of the value chain because asset management fees have gone down substantially. And I think you probably have witnessed this, that index funds um, have gone down substantially over the past 10 years, past 12 years. Um, it started really going down when we entered the UK market. Um, but that hasn't seemed to have translated all the way to the net benefit of the um, end investor, because I think there are other components of the value chain that still are chunky and expensive. And so the question is, is how can we actually create efficiencies in the market, create efficiencies in that value chain, so we can decrease the overall cost for end investors. 
So I'm interested in in the point you mentioned alluded to earlier on about um, digital digital technology and some of the stuff that you guys are working on at, at Vanguard. As you know, a timeline we're building technology to to make advice um, you know advisors' life easier. Um, and and I want to kind of draw a parallel with you know the U.S. What Vanguard's doing in the U.S., for instance. Um, you alluded to the point earlier on about Vanguard, you know, temporarily or for, for, for some time being in the, you know, the platform custody market and then exiting that market. But what we've seen recently is Vanguard investing in Altruist, which is, you know, another platform business. And so to me, I'm, I, you know, do, do you feel that as part of this drive to provide Digital technology, digital digital technology to, to advisors. Do you you know? Do, do you think that ultimately <laughs> Vanguard is going to need to come to the market with their own uh, platform for advice? Because I understand the argument of wanting to offer your own tools and technology to to platforms, but what if they don't take you up on it? Well, I mean, that is an interesting question. Uh, and I think the, the question, I think that what will follow, and this is just uh, part of the way you would think about corporate strategy, is, is there opportunities to partner in the market? Um, if the market is dominated by a small number of really big platforms, um, there is some reason why they would try and shut somebody like Vanguard out. Um, when you have a more competitive market and a lot of platforms that are more medium-sized serving advisors, it's more likely that we're going to find willingness to partner with us to try and help them build their business among advisors because we hope that we can be a draw for the platform. I think the first platforms that start to get Vanguard technology are going to be those that I think do better with advisors. And so I think there's some incentive to want to work with us on that. Um, that said, yes, I think that if we found that no platform was willing to work with us, I think that would change the dynamic. But right now, by the way, we have very good relationships with the platform providers. Um, I think that there's ample reason to say that Vanguard model portfolios will be on those uh, platforms over time and that over time we'll start to think about adding our digital financial planning tools um, for voluntary use um, from the advisors who use those platforms. Uh, but that's the dynamic we see today. That dynamic could change. And if the dynamic changes, we'd have to adapt to that. Incredible stuff. So let's go back to the script now. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we deviated a little bit. So, so um, um, insightful stuff. So I hear it's the 10th anniversary of the Vanguard Live Strategy Funds. Um, congratulations on that. Um, these funds have been pioneers in our sector and uh, wiped the floor um, out of many, um, you know, expensive multi-asset funds. What do you think? What do you think has been the reason why um, VLS has stood the test of time? I think a few reasons. I think that uh, they, they really are emblematic of everything that Jack Bogle really would have uh, talked about during his entire career. You know, he talked about low cost. 
they're low cost. He talked about indexing, it's an index implementation. He talked about it's hard to time the market if we don't try and time the market. Um, and he talked about time being your friend and we have a long-term outlook here. And, uh, and interestingly, you know, what I, I just read an article this weekend, actually in one of the, in one of the newspapers that talked about multi-asset funds and quoted an industry pundit saying, oh, I know there's a lot of low cost funds out there, but you know what? It's the net returns that you really should worry about. So active is a really good place to go to. But of course, what's really powered these is that that approach creates good net returns. And so I think the 10 year number, Life Strategy 40 and Life Strategy 60, earn the top 2% of the entire universe in terms of risk adjusted returns. And I think what happens is there's pressure in the industry to create margins. And the way you create margins, and by the way, I, I, I've done this for now decades, and I can see why people do it, but I think it misses something big. And that is people think you get margins by making it expensive. And the only way to justify expensive is to make it complicated. Um, and therefore, uh, then tell a story. But what happens is the complications you put in to justify the fees end up actually destroying return opportunities because we tend to make behavioral mistakes with respect to how we position portfolios. And so all of the multi-asset funds that are out there, those that are most active, our research shows, those that are most active in the way they manage their asset allocation happen to be also the most expensive and happen to be the worst performers. And those that as you get less, ex less active in terms of your movement of your asset allocation and more passive, you actually improve your net returns. Um, and so, you know, our, my, my, you know, clarion call to the rest of the industry is actually, it's better to keep the cost low to keep the approach simple and attract more people to your product and get scale benefits as opposed to um, one way to keep your product small is to charge a lot and not get good net returns. And so, uh, and, I, and I think that that's been proven um, kind of over and over again, but it's still really, really hard for everybody in the industry to get their head around that. This is the thing, it's incredible. Uh, you know, I'll restate that just for our listeners, you know, Life Strategy 40 essentially beat 98 out of every 100 funds in the, in the, in the, in the category, which is just incredible. Nonetheless, as you said, it's been very hard just to get these points across. So let's talk about, um, you know, Vanguard's actively managed funds, right? You know, Vanguard is known, in, you know, for as low-cost index fund provider. But then I guess you're also, uh, you know, playing the other side with your active funds. What's the rationale for that? Is it just because... The argument is too hard to make. Some people are not buying it, and so therefore, yeah, let's just offer them some um, active, actively managed funds. When when Vanguard was founded in way back in 1975 by Jack Vogel, it was 100% active, um, and and he didn't launch the Index 500 fund until after he was up and running, and it, and it was because he was a spinoff of Wellington Investment Management. So Vanguard's been in the active business forever um, and have 1.7 trillion in active uh, USD in funds under management. And 
our belief there is that there are some ingredients to that are important to create any kind of um, sustainable alpha, and that is low cost, patience, and finding the right talent. And what we really love about doing both is that we can set a standard that says, hey, we, we aren't going to hire you as a manager unless you can actually you know, demonstrate that you have what it takes to beat our index funds. And so when we think about a multi-asset fund, it better be something where we say, hey, does that have a chance of actually having a better risk-adjusted return than life strategy? And we would only launch a fund if we actually thought it had that opportunity. Now, what you, what you get with it, though, is, is that you have active risk. And we do know that there are investors. Again, remember I talked about psychographic segmentation. It's a big world. There's a lot of different investors out there. There are some that are willing to take active risk as opposed to just systemic risk exposure to a particular risky asset class like equities. And so we want to be able to provide them with what we think is the best approach to active management and approach to accessing active risk. And we do that both on the fixed income side and the equity side. On the equity side, we think it's too hard for somebody of our size to do it ourselves. So we hire, I think it's 25 different firms to sub-advise. And, um, and our track record, and, and I know this very well because I think you might've uh, heard me say earlier that I happened to work in the group that did all of the hiring and firing and oversight of the active managers. And so when I was in that job, um, you know, I was asking myself, could we demonstrate empirically that we actually are getting um, you know, kind of what we paid for? And, uh, and the answer is yes, believe it or not. Um, you know, if you invested in a market cap weighted um, selection of Vanguard's active funds, um, you would actually get a return better than Vanguard's index funds. Um, now, what you would not get is predictability. And you would not get that every single year. You'd have all, like any time you think of active management, you've got to think about there are some good runs and some bad runs. And that's why patience is an important component. Um, one of the reasons we think that most people are well off in an index portfolio is because most people don't have the patience. Um, but for those who do, who, those who do actually have a real long-term outlook and understand the active risk they're taking, you can be rewarded um, through taking the approach of finding talented people, having patience, and keeping your costs low. But of course, but of course, this strategy hasn't always worked, has it? Because recently, Vanguard shot um, some of its actively managed ETFs. Um, I, I'm thinking of them as factor ETFs, value yeah. factors, and things like that. Again, what's the reason behind that? Is it is it that you you think yes we can introduce actively uh, uh, manage portfolios or take active risk within the portfolio, but if we can't, then we shut them down and close the funds. I think those funds had a little bit of a different story because you know there, there's all different flavors of active as you know. And I thought of those, we think of those as systemic active. They were quantitative in nature. Um, they're not that dissimilar. We think they were a better approach than what you get from some of the factor funds that you could get that are indexed where MSCI or FTSE or somebody like that is actually 
determining the quantitative techniques of getting exposure to a particular factor. Um, you know, we, we thought that the world was going to go to a place where factor investing um, made some sense. We actually do believe you can build a portfolio that way. But for us, one of the things we've got to see is, 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 that the, is that true with the market? Do we think that those ETFs in that case were resonating with the, the investors that we serve? And more and more we are hearing, not, not really. So I don't want to say that we lost faith in, or conviction in the concept of factors in the marketplace. We think there's good academic grounding for some of the factor um, exposures that you might get access to. But we didn't think that it was going to be commercially successful. And we have um, much more conviction in the UK with sub-advised traditional active um, delivered at low cost with high conviction managers and a lot of patients. Incredible stuff. Let's start to, uh, you know, wind the podcast down. Uh, Sean, I'm incredibly grateful for your time and, and, and for your wisdom. Before you leave us today, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you um, and chief of which is what else, what's in the pipeline for Vanguard? What can we expect going forward? Yeah, I think there's a few areas of interesting exploration for us. Um, one, and it's I don't know that the day goes by where we don't talk about ESG and we're getting a lot of questions um, from advisors about ESG. So we have a pretty active product pipeline there and that will be across a bunch of different categories. Um, the way I think about it is ESG is a category in and of itself, but there's cross references with, can you do multi-asset ESG, active ESG, e ETFs with ESG. So, there, there's definitely something there for us to continue to um, work on. Uh, and the second area of real uh, deep research and uh, product development right now is in portfolio building for advisors. You know, what can we do to help advisors to create better net returns for their investors? And, uh, and, and for us, it's all about um, partnering with people who, and this is a really important part of who Vanguard is. We know that we're not for everybody. Um, our strategy is to say very clearly, here's our philosophy. And we think advisors that share that philosophy um, are people who we want to partner with. And what we hope is we can help make them the winners in the marketplace, that they can build robust practices because they believe what we believe, we believe what they believe, and ultimately, it's those advisors that put their clients first and try and drive better outcomes for their clients that are the ones that we love to work with. And so we're always finding ways beyond just providing, oh, here's a fund. We're finding ways through practice management, through ways to articulate their value proposition to clients, um, through a whole series of things that would say, can we help you? to drive better outcomes for your client. And I'd say that's a very large area of research and development for us right now. Um, we call it the Vanguard Advantage Program in the UK. Um, and so how can we create an advantage for our advisor partners uh, for them and the success of their firms? Incredible stuff. Um, this is a podcast about retirement <laughs> after all. So how does Vanguard Europe CEO plan his, his own retirement? 
Well, let's see. My own retirement. It's uh, it's by a well diversified, balanced portfolio, and uh, and forget about it. And uh, interestingly, I am a client in the U.S. of our personal advisor services, which is surprising to some because my goodness, shouldn't I be able to manage my own portfolio? But uh, because it, we call it TWA, maybe you don't have the time, willingness, or ability to manage your portfolio. I hope I have the ability. I have a little bit of the willingness. I'm not sure I have the time. And, uh, and since I've joined the tax alpha alone um, out of that service, because there is a good algorithm in the US, m most of my assets are in the US um, for, uh, through our personal advisor services. And, uh, and I pay for the entire fee. It's a lot less expensive to get advice in the US, by the way. Um, our personal advisor services fee is 30 basis points and the underlying portfolio is about 10. So I'm paying about 40 basis points on all my assets and, uh, and they pay for the 40 basis points in tax alpha alone. That, that's incredible. That's, that's what you pay for platform. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> incredible stuff. And finally, I promise, finally, what you reading, what you streaming uh, Netflix or, or reading as, as a book um, currently? Oh boy, I've been reading um, uh, on two big subjects and uh, probably too many. I, I read a lot of books. Uh, I, I've been reading a lot on ESG. Um, so I'd recommend Bill Gates' book on climate change. Um, I think that's a, an interesting read. And I think that we all need to uh, lean into understanding what are the challenges of climate change in particular in the ESG realm, but also understanding ESG broadly. I've been reading research papers on ESG um, so uh, I think uh, there's uh, some interesting uh, research you can find on what's going on there. And the second would be social justice. So I've been reading a lot about uh, the, I think this past year, I hope, is a watershed moment for the world. Um, it, it happened tragically through the killing of George Floyd, but I think that has created an opportunity for us to all get smarter about social justice movements across the globe. And so I've read a, a lot of book about, uh, you know, anti-racism essentially, and, uh, and how can we, and then and try and apply that to the industry um, and to uh, Vanguard as a firm. Those are the two big areas of interest for me right now. Incredible stuff. Sean Agassi, thank you very much for your time, for your wisdom, and just for coming on the podcast. Very grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together, led by my producer, Hannah Dickinson. Thank you, thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.